Good morning. Or hi, everybody. That's what I should say. I'm looking forward to this. I, I told the high schoolers a couple weeks ago because uh, this curriculum, uh, I've, been, I've been teaching basically the same lessons that you've been getting on Sunday mornings to middle school and high school students on Sunday nights. And with middle schoolers, they, I, you know, they're all nick, I nicknamed them all Blurt. They all blurt things out. They're, they're completely, yeah. Ian got taller. Yep. They, uh, yeah, like that. Thank you for. I get it. I see what you did. Yeah, and then sometimes I, I'm done with middle school. I'm like, I don't think they heard a word I said, but I know they are. And then the high schoolers have been so attentive and asking great questions. I'm like, this is like a breath of fresh air. And then I'm like, what is it, what is it going to be like teaching the same material to adults? What it, what it is, it's going to ruin tonight for me. You guys are going to be with me, and then tonight I'm going to be like, man, this is terrible. I'm going home. So I love this unit we've been in, just kind of laying down this foundational work before we just start going chronologically through Scripture. Uh, last week, we talked about the Old Testament, uh, and we saw a really, a really cool example of how God uh, recorded Scripture. You know, Second uh, Peter 1, that, that uh, prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit, uh, that to, to write scripture. And 2 Timothy 3, all scriptures God breathes. And we, we saw an example of that in the Old Testament in, in Jeremiah, where uh, God said, write this down, and they actually wrote it down on a scroll. And then we saw how God preserved his word and pre- preserved scripture uh, throughout history. And um, I don't know, did you guys talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls last week at all too, or was that just in the homework? You talked about it too? Okay, cool. I know that Ian, we split it up a little differently because there's just too much material to cover in one short time. So the Old Testament closed with a warning of judgment in Malachi 2 and the, the promise of a Messiah and then waiting 400 years of silence, of silence from God until the, the fulfillment of the greatest event in history, the coming of the Messiah. And then the, in the New Testament, reflecting the fulfillment of the promised Messiah through Jesus Christ. It was written primarily by the apostles. In John 14, 26, we find that Jesus empowered the apostles through the Holy Spirit to recall, to write, and interpret his life, words, and deeds. Jesus said this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Actually, if you want to turn to John 14, that's where we're going to end up in, in just a few minutes or so. Jesus again promised his apostles a special revelation of truth through the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 13, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. The apostle John verifies himself as an eyewitness to the events he wrote about. This, he says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. It's John 21, 24. And God officially warns against tampering with scripture, admonishing that no words be added to or taken away from this sacred book. It's in Revelation 22. We can be confident that the writings of those empowered by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are inspired inerrant and infallible. They're inspired. They're from God. They're inerrant. They, they're without error. They're infallible. They'll, they'll never fail. So I wondered for a very long time 
where did the New Testament come from? Like, how did we get those specific books of the Bible? You know, I grew up in church and you hear about, well, there are these other books, but they didn't make it in. Uh, so if you've had questions like that, that's what we're talking about today. So as, as the New Testament letters began to be gathered and read throughout the church, we find evidence that they were already being included as part of the Old Testament canon and described as scripture. The apostle Peter makes such a claim about Paul's writings in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, when he, he puts Paul's epistles in the same category as the other scriptures. Uh, more so the apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 5, 18, he quotes two passages as authoritative scripture. This is interesting. The first one comes from Deuteronomy, but the second one comes from Luke 10, 7. So Paul acknowledges that Luke's gospel is on the same level as Deuteronomy, as God's word. We can rest assured that the New Testament canon has, has now completed the word of God. And we are reminded of this truth through biblical, historical, and archaeological findings. Not only that, we know it's God's word because as we read it, we hear God's voice throughout every book. And as children of God, we never tire of it. It's the word of our creator God revealing the divine power that grants us everything needed to live a life of godliness through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's 2 Peter 1, 3. So in his divine providence, God, not man, has determined through the Holy Spirit the books that make up our Bible. The early church, shortly after Christ's death and resurrection, they had no, they had no discussion about what, a, a book, what made a book equal to the Old Testament scriptures. It was just universally accepted that if a letter came from Peter or Paul, it was deemed scripture. As time went on, that's when people start, you know, we start questioning things and we start fighting about things. But shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection, it was just, if a letter came from Paul or Peter, one of the apostles, uh, it was scripture. However, it wasn't long before people to, began to add their own letters, thoughts, ideas, and gospels desiring to fill in the gaps with what they believe should be included. Because of this, during the first 200 years of church history, certain questions were adopted to serve as the litmus test for the books added to the Bible. So the, the early church said, okay, what are some things we can ask to just to, to kind of put this to rest? What, how do we include books as, in the Bible? How do we, how do we deem a, a book or a letter as authoritative? So here are the questions they asked. Was the book or letter written by apostle or under the direction of apostle? Now, that, that's a good, Luke's a good example of that. He, he wasn't one of the apostles, but, uh, but he was under the direction of the apostles. And actually, you know, he wrote the book of Acts. He traveled with Paul. And uh, the second question is, did the writing resound with the truth of God? You know, did it speak with the, author the voice of authority as the word of God and not the words of men? Uh, were these writings used from the earliest of times? You know, attempts to include other letters, other writings from much later dates have been made and they've been rejected because the material is too new to have been apostolic. Did most churches accept these writings as the New Testament canon? So before the middle of the first century, 20 of the 27 books of the New Testament were universally accepted and only a few churches questioned the other books. And the last question is, did the writings conform to what the church taught? Did it conform to what the church taught? Because there was a general agreement as to what the Christian message actually was. 
So this question ruled out false te- teachings attempting to, to taint the truth. So all of the books regarded as scripture have been examined according to these questions and have pro- been proven to be the word of God. Yet still today, we see that people attack the authenticity and reliability of the scriptures. The Bible is increasingly regarded as irrelevant due to the apathy of our culture toward things of God and especially his word. Consequently, we hear very little about the history of the Bible. So as we we take a look at the books of the New Testament, uh, let's remember that these books, they stood the test based on the question mentioned, uh, the questions I just mentioned, and as they were included in the canon of the New Testament. So we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They provide accounts of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection during his three-year ministry. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written between AD 55 and 68. John was probably written in the 90s. Uh, John John was the last. The book of Acts provides an account of the history of the early church and the spread of Christianity after Christ's resurrection. Acts was written by Luke in the mid-60s. You have the, the Pauline epistles, uh, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Th- Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. There are 13 pastoral re- letters written by Paul as he endeavored to grow Christ's church in truth and sound doctrine. And these letters were written between 80, 51, and 65. And then you have the general epistles. We have Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter, 1, 2 and 3 John, and Jude are letters written to believers by five different people. They include doctrinal advice. They include practical advice and were sent out to the churches. Uh, these letters were written from the late 40s, which is James' letter, to the, all the way to the 90s, which are John's letters. So most of the the New Testament books were added to the Old Testament scriptures by the early church, and they were considered the complete inspired canon around 150 AD. This is something called the the Muratorian canon. However, due to false teachers and further attempts to change this compilation, there were these councils, and those are just general meetings of the Christian church. They met to eliminate any confusion and bring unity to the church. How many, how many of you have heard, a show of hands, or maybe you still, you haven't heard any different. This was me for a long time, that, that the books of the Bible were, weren't compiled into the Bible until like sometime in the 300s or the 400s. Anybody think that? Or yeah, you heard it, but you don't think it. Okay. Yeah, that's a, lot of, that's, a, that's a lot of like pushback I get. Well, you know, the Bible wasn't even, you know, the Bible until the 300s. Like it, basically people use that as as an example to show, well, if so much time passed, centuries passed, you know, obviously those people didn't really know what they were talking about. But yeah, or like, yeah, you know, like the people in power at the time, you know, just picked the books of the Bible to feed their own, to, to, yeah, their own agenda, their own purposes. Yeah, the Council of Nicaea. Uh, so what we know to be true is that Again, the early church believed that these were the scriptures, that these were the inspired words of God to the church. And there was general agreement. Um, They were considered inspired canon, again, around 150 AD. And these councils that met, like the Council of Nicaea in 325 or the Council of Carthage in 397, they just affirmed that the 66 books that we have today 
are the divinely inspired word of God, not to be added to or taken away from. Those councils just met, uh, you know, I think for other reasons too, but it was just like, hey, people are fighting about this again. Can we just put this to rest? And so they were just affirming. They weren't deciding. They were just saying, this is, this is, this is legit, guys. We're, this is what we're going with. We're moving forward with this. Stop fighting about it. So let's look at John 14, 25 and 26, and then we're going to ask some, some questions. We're going to do our, our Bible study of John 14. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the advocate, advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So we've read the text. Now let's take some time to observe what it's saying to us uh, so that we can understand what God's word is telling us. So uh, where and when did this take place? Does anybody know the, the context? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't explicit in John 14, but does anybody know? Yeah, uh, in the upper room during the Last Supper. It's kind of a, a quick uh, trick question because you have to go back to John 13 uh, to see that the setting doesn't change. They just are in the upper room and Jesus is continuing to talk to his disciples uh, until they depart for the Garden of Gethsemane. So this puts the timing near the end of Christ's earth, earthly ministry. So who are the characters? Who's Jesus speaking to here in John 14? What's that? His disciples, his 11 disciples. Judas, uh, Judas already left. Judas already, already left to betray him. What type of literature is this? What type of literature is this? Historical account, yeah. This isn't a gospel, so it's a narrative account of the words Jesus actually spoke, in this case, to his disciples. Uh, this is an important question to ask. Are there any figures of speech in this text? Any figures of speech? Alicia? You don't think so? No, there's not. It's just very direct. He just says, this is a thing. It's going to happen. And this is what it is. He's not using a figure of speech. So what does the passage tell us about the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, the Holy Spirit will be sent by the Father in the name of the Son. Again, it's very, very plain language. It's not figurative. Just this is what's going to happen. Uh, what other name identifies the Holy Spirit in this passage? What? Advocate. Yeah. Sorry. It didn't make sense to my brain because everyone said it <laughs> slightly different times. Advocate. Very good. Uh, what specific role is the Holy Spirit responsible for in this passage? I mean, the Holy Spirit has a lot of specific roles, but in this passage, what is he responsible for? Jogging their memory. Yeah. Yeah, once, once Christ is gone, the Spirit will be responsible for bringing to remembrance the words of Christ and teaching the apostles. Uh. So what event is anticipated when he says, these things I've spoken while abiding with you or while I'm still with you, what event is 
is anticipated by that is death and resurrection. Uh, you know, Jesus talks about his departure, referring first to his, his death and then his ascension to the Father. And this is a form of foreshadowing that is made clear in verse 28. And this is just a side note because I, I, I find it fascinating as I read through the Gospels and just wonder what I would have thought. You know, how many times Jesus told them what was going to happen and then how surprised they were when it actually happened. And, you know, we, we laugh about it. And I'm like, you dummies. But I'm like, yeah, I probably would have done the same thing because it's just this unbelievable thing. And they probably thought like, yeah, there's Jesus. He's talking about, I don't know what he's talking about. It doesn't make sense. Uh, so, but what is the main point of the passage? What's the main point? God's word. Oh, comfort. Uh, yeah, well, the Holy Spirit is a comforter. But looking at the Holy Spirit's specific role in this passage, what, what's, the main, what's the main point? Susan. The work's going to continue on through the Holy Spirit. Um, the what? He's our advocate. Uh, these are all correct answers. It won't be alone. There's one more thing that I, I mean, it's kind of the focus of what we're talking about when we talk about the writing of the scriptures. Yes. So all those things that you said are true. Great job. There's so much we can glean from just a couple verses. But the writing of the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is responsible for teaching and reminding the apostles of the truth that they will need in the future. So now that we've asked questions about the text, let's tie those ideas to the origin of the New Testament as part of interpreting the passage. So what impact does this passage have on our understanding of how the New Testament authors produce their writings? What impact does it have? God inspired it. Absolutely. We, you know, it's easy to think, and this is another argument that people give, well, you know, the Bible is just written by a bunch of guys, a bunch of dudes. Uh, and, you know, I think we think of our own human memory of, of things. You know, you've got 11, well, 12 disciples, but then 11 disciples walking with Jesus. Uh, you know, they're bound to remember things a little differently. They're bound to uh, remember specific details differently. But God says the Holy Spirit is going to remind you. He's going to bring to remembrance these experiences they were writing about. Um, and, and he taught them the things that they did not know. And so while men did write scripture and they're, you know, it's, it's, that's evident that different people wrote different books of the Bible. God inspired it. Uh, this is a bit, there's a bit of a de debate about exactly when each New Testament book was written, but there's general agreement. Most would say that the writings were complete with the exception of Revelation and John's epistles before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70. You know, and that the, uh, the earliest books were written 10 to 30 years after Christ's ascension. And again, this has led many critics to claim that there must be many errors in the writings. You know, I can't even remember like much from last week about specific conversations, but we're talking like 10, 30 years. Uh, how much do you remember from 10, 30, 10 to 30 years ago about things? Um, so if you, if you tried to write an account of something that happened 10 years ago, would you get everything right? Probably not. No. Um, but these are different because under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these authors recorded the events 
accurately. God superintended the writings of these books for a record to be passed on to the, the church in the future. And then we get back to Revelation 20, 22. I'm not sure if Ian spent any time in Revelation 22 last week, uh, but we're going to spend a little more time in it today. I forgot to ask him. It's too late now. He already left on his trip. He gone. Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19. I'll give you a second to get there. You know, we're going to see these, uh, the first words in verse 18 says, I bear witness to everyone about the words. You know, we, that's not the only time we read that in the New Testament. Uh, I love that Peter will say that. Uh, John, as I read earlier, John says that. These were eyewitnesses. They saw Jesus. They walked with him. And John is saying that about Revelation. He says in verse 18, I bear witness to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. So I know I just gave you the answer to this, but who is the author of Revelation? John. Uh, Who is the audience? Everyone. Yeah. I'm asking, I feel like I'm asking you trick questions. Uh, what are the two commands in this passage? Don't add or take away. Yeah, leave it as is. Don't add or take away. And what are the consequences de- described for violating the commands? What's that? Pretty serious, Yes. The plagues described in the book will be placed upon the individual and God will take away their share in the tree of life in the holy city. So don't do it. Uh, There are other passages in scripture that relate to this passage, which I'll I'll cover in a minute. Uh, What is the biblical and historical context of the passage? So biblically, what's what's the context? Where does this take, take place? When he's in exile, well, that's, that would be the uh, historical, but biblically, it's just, where is it compared to the other books when they were written? Well, in the future, well, in the future but like, when did John actually, where did, it just takes place at the end. I'm, I'm, that's a terrible question. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just at the end. <laughs> Excuse me. Yep. He's writing on Patmos. He's the last surviving apostle and all of the other books of the Bible had already been written. Uh, so what is the main point of the passage? There's, there's an answer to one of the other questions. Don't add or take away. Yeah, Jesus is coming, but yeah, don't add or take away to the words in this book. So from this passage, we see a clear warning against adding or taking away from the words of God. And we said that the warning in verse 18 specifically applies to this writing, but is it proper to extend this warning to the entirety of Scripture. Is it proper? Yes? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, but, you know, that's where I think some people get tripped up. They get in trouble thinking, well, you know, this is just Revelation. Don't add or take away to Revelation. And that's how other, other 
things have been started, like, uh, which I think we're talking about next week, when you look at the, the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, you know, they're, they're adding to other parts of Scripture, but, you know, that just applies to, to Revelation. But I don't want get, to get too far ahead. We see this in other places. In Deuteronomy 4.2, you shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of Yahweh your God, which I am commanding you. Deuteronomy 12.32, whatever I am commanding you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add or take away from it. And in Proverbs 36, do not add to his words, lest he reprove you and you be proved a liar. So this is a theme throughout scripture. God takes this seriously. Don't add to what he says. Don't take away from what he says. And we, Ian's talked about eisegesis and exegesis. Eisegesis, don't read into scripture what you want it to say. Uh, scripture is scripture. It's as God intended it. So we identified the book of Revelation as the final writing both historically and biblically in the Bible. And because this is the last book in the Bible and written by the last living apostle, it is reasonable to suggest that this warning in the last section of Scripture should rightly apply to all Scripture. Uh, So let's look at how the early church viewed the apostles' writings to see if we confirm our conjecture that the canon was closed with the book of Revelation. So were the books included in the New Testament put there because they were authoritative or are they authoritative because they were included in the canon? Yes. Okay. I got nothing for you now. I don't want to say that. Uh, It's commonly claimed by skeptics that the books were chosen to be included because they fit with the with the uh, teachings of the people in power at the time. We talked about that. Uh, they would suggest that many other books were not included because they conflicted with the ideas that you know, the powerful or the elite wanted to promote. They said, I don't like that. You know, we're, not, we're not keeping that one. However, this is a straw man argument. It doesn't accu- accurately represent the Christian view. The real reason that the other writings were set aside is because they were not authoritative. And the early church, the early Christians laid that foundation for us as they, they viewed the, the scriptures, the, the letters from the apostles, the gospels as the word of God. Well, I think I ended like way before Ian normally does, and I am not as good on the spot with questions as he is, but what questions or comments do you have? Okay, here we go. Rita. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, you know, especially if you look at the, the Gospels themselves. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they line up so well together. And it you know, you can, you can look at it as one of two ways. You know, people are like, well, they just got together. And they, uh, they wrote, they had a little study group. 
They wrote those together. And then John's, nothing in John contradicts. John just shares things from a different point of view. He shares different things about Jesus. And then what does he say at the end? He's like, if, if, if we were to write everything that Jesus said and did, there's not even enough books in the world to contain what he did. And so, yeah, that's a really good point, Rita. Thanks. What else? Anything? Do you, do you feel like you'd be confident to, to talk to someone? It said like, yeah, you know, the, if you're, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't have many conversations about the, uh, how the New Testament and the Bible was formed, but if you did, you know, do you feel confident that you could, you could talk about that, that they say, well, you know, it was just done. It was just put together by the people in power, you know, centuries and centuries later. Um, you could say, no, actually, uh, it was compiled sooner. <laughs> This has been, I hope that's been helpful. Yeah. 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 Maybe the Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance all the things that I said to you today. I don't I don't know. Is that blasphemy? I don't know. I shouldn't have said that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the day, our arguments aren't going to win people to Christ. Um, and it, you know, it depends on the person. Some people are very concerned with, with the evidence. Uh, and so with the people in your life, the people you work with, your family, your friends, uh, you know, you can kind of have a nuanced approach to this and just be, you know, I thought for a long time, uh, I think it's first Peter three, it says always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. And I kind of use that verse as a cop out. That's, that's the verse where we get the word apologetics from, uh, the reason is, is the Greek word apologia. And uh, so it's where we get apologetics. And I, I, I remember talking to people and I'm like, well, you know, I, I did, my wife and I did a young adult ministry for years at, our, at a church when we were in our, our 20s many, many years ago. And we, uh, I would say, well, you know, you don't need to know all the stuff. Just have a reason for your hope. You know, be able to tell your story. And your story is important. But... It's also good to, to know the reason. It's good to know these things and to, to seek after knowledge because not only does it help you to be a better witness, but it, as you learn these things, it, uh, I, I told uh, me and Mike and I, we're talking about that this week, that the deeper your theology, the higher your praise. God gets more worship when you learn more about him, when you, when you learn more about these things. And, and you can, as, as Rita said, you can be in awe that, man, look what God did. You can, be, you can have more confidence in the Bible because it is the inspired word of God, that scripture actually is God-breathed. And God gave us so, much, so many examples to see that. Did I see hand over here a minute ago? Yeah, Susan. Oh, yeah.
Absolutely. I mean, the, if you look at, what is it, Homer's Odyssey, I don't know if you've heard that example before, just these, these kind of ancient literatures and you know, the, the earliest examples we have them are like, I can't remember the years, but Ian would remember. So I'm sorry. He's coming back next week. Oh, by the way, I'm going to forget. There's no Ephesians thing tonight because uh, Ian's out of town and he did not preach about Ephesians this morning. Uh, so, but that, that resumes next Sunday, the 9th. I don't remember what I was saying. Uh, oh, nope. There it is. Uh, Homer's Odyssey that, uh, you know, we, we have very, very few manuscripts and they're, they're incomplete at best. And, they, you know, there's so many, so there's such a big gap between when it was written and between the, between the earliest manuscript we have it. Yet, people never are like, Homer's Odyssey is false. What this really comes down to, because the evidence is overwhelming, what this really comes down to is people suppress the truth about God. Romans 1, that God's, God's nature is evident to us all around us. And even that, even more than that, he gave us his word, his very breathed words to us. Yet people suppress the truth because they don't want to be accountable to a creator. Is that really what it, what it comes down to? So it's, it's good to know the evidence, but... At the end of the day, if someone wants to suppress that truth, you can't convince them. Uh, you can't convince them. Uh, I'm convinced, as I, I'm preaching about it this morning, that our unity is what shows, shows people this is, this is legitimate uh, when we live it out. And yes, we have those conversations, but when we live this out together and we're united, it shows, shows the world, yeah, this is true. Yes? Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, what does First Peter say to to give an, a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect? So that I've been having those conversation with conversations with my boys, and I love this curriculum that we're doing because it's really putting legs to their faith because they're learning about all kinds of things. I mean, in a, in a few weeks when we start Genesis, we'll be talking about creation and evolution. And, and uh, you know, we're having these conversations in our home. And then, uh, you know, my, my son, Charlie, who's 11, is coming home and he's like, dad, they taught me this at school today. What do you think about that? You know, is that right? And I'm like, no, buddy, that's not right. Um, again, there's just reading this information that's in a textbook that, by the way, has changed over the years, and in 20 years, it's going to be different. It's going to be different again. Uh, and so see, I'm, that's something that's on my heart a lot. I want to teach my children and the kids of this church that like, you can be confident in these things. Uh, you, can, you don't have to agree with, and that's a tough thing. You, know, you don't have to agree with everything you learn in school, but you can still learn it. Like it, you can still, it's a different viewpoint. You can still l- learn it if you're in that environment, um, if you're in the public school, um, and, and you can do that. You can still be respectful to your teachers. And so that's like a fine line teaching my boys, you know, not to just stand up and be like, false.
Yes. No. It's not great to go through school over again. It's, but yes, it's an adventure. We've got a couple more minutes. Any other questions? Or should we uh, one, two, three, go team? I don't know. Yes, Richard. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact reason. He asked what was the reason for the Council of Nicaea even coming together. I don't, what's that? Different sects that were breaking off? Yeah, I'd, I'd have to, I haven't read about that in a while. Um, but I think, for a lot of those councils, what it, what it comes down to is, I mean, we even see this in, in Paul's writings. What, what's he writing for a lot? What's his purpose? He's refuting these false teachers. He's saying, he calls out people by name in the New Testament. Say, so-and-so is teaching you this. That's false. Uh, and that didn't stop once the canon was, was closed. Um, and I also think it's cool to, to think about how the early church operated Again, it's, it's just so foreign to us because, you know, we have, we all have access to this and many, many of you have a lot at home. We have access to it digitally. Um, there's still people in the world that don't have access to the Bible, <clears throat> but it's not like, you know, Paul wrote a book and then he emailed it to everybody. Uh, <clears throat> people dil- diligently copied these letters and they, they copied the gospels and they, they just distributed them. They, they pass them around. Yeah, Bob. Yeah, there you go. Why? Do, is that a rhetorical question? I don't know why he did. But it's, yeah, because this is God's word. And it's God's plan. And wow, now we have access to it today. And uh, I've taken it for granted so much. So, yeah, yeah, I was, I was telling the, I think it was the high schoolers last week in our small group, I was telling them, did you know that people lost their lives to translate the Bible into English? They died to do that. And I don't think about that very often, but that's also so encouraging that it's not just us today thinking, sitting here talking about the authority of God's word. People throughout history have given their lives because they believed this is true. These words are true. This is God-breathed scripture to us. And, uh, you know, to get a little personal, I, 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 I felt for a long time and not even realized it, not even realized it until, well, more recent than I'd care to admit, that this book became just a ministry tool. Just one of the things we use for ministry. This is the tool for ministry. And uh, it's wonderful. And we can spend our entire life learning what it says and what God has for us and never, the well will never run dry. And that's such a gift. Uh, and the sooner we start to wrap our minds and our hearts around that truth, the, the more adventurous, the more exciting, the more fulfilling our lives are. So, uh, I just thank you for being here today, for your questions, for your attention.
Now, tonight's ruined. No, it'll be fine. I love middle schoolers. <laughs> and uh, one, two, three, go team. <laughs>